continuing our series, Jesus for Everyone. And we are right in the middle of a section of teaching from Jesus that is pulling no punches at all. He has uh, come after the Pharisees. He's come after their self-righteousness. Uh, he's come after their performance-oriented religion. Uh, last week, he, he addressed things like money, anxiety, fear. And he left us with the, the reality that most of us go through life completely distracted uh, and as a result, we live our lives in fear of things that don't really matter whenever we consider eternity. So that's, that's where we picked, that's where we left off last week. I wish we could do all, like this whole section in one kind of uh, big conversation because the way Jesus teaches this is it can be a little bit confusing if you're trying to trace the thread uh, because he kind of goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And if you look at them as individual sections, you're like, well, how do these things How do these things flow together? But if you follow the transitions and if you follow where Jesus goes in this section, you can see that he he starts kind of weaving one thing into the other and bringing all of those things together. And if you thought Jesus has been uh, harsh so far in some of what he has said, uh, talking to the Pharisees and kind of calling them out, today's text will be no easier for you to hear. If your take on Jesus is that he is a softy that loves to give out big hugs, flowers, and uh, say they're there at all times, this morning is going to be a bit of a shocker for you when you hear what Jesus has to say. This is less uh, hippie Jesus and more of a Jesus with fire in his eyes as he looks and as he preaches. Uh, this morning, we're, we're, you, you have to... You, This morning, I think you will get, if you have the ears to hear it, what might be the biggest blessing you will ever receive in this lifetime. If you will hear it, you're going to get a warning. And if you will listen to that warning, if you you will hear that warning, if you will heed that warning, there is nothing better that I could give you this morning than what Jesus does here. However, if you do not heed this warning, this might be the worst thing that you could receive Uh, in this life. And I know that because that's exactly what Jesus is going to say in this text. So let's just start Luke 12, chapter 32, uh, and let's read. uh, That's going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, and the last paragraph we we briefly talked about last week, and we're going to head right into it, and you'll see how Jesus kind of moves from one thing into the next. So Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the doors to him uh, at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes truly i say to you he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them and if he comes in the in in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake blessed are those servants but know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not have left his house to be broken into you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you did not expect. 
So, so we pick up uh, right where we had left off, and, and Jesus is going to go through, in this little section we're going to look at this morning, he's going to use like four or five different analogies. He's going to uh, kind of mix and match metaphors, which they tell you you're not supposed to do, but Jesus does it all the time. And so he's going to go through, in just this little section, all kinds of different ways for us to, uh, to look at the same point that he is trying to make. And last week we said, don't be anxious about uh, money, don't fear the temporary, but look to the eternal. And he underscores that uh, at, the, at the end of that section of teaching by saying that, uh, that kind of attacking our savings accounts. And he tells us that we aren't nearly, that those savings accounts aren't nearly as important as we think they are. In fact, the most important thing about our bank accounts isn't what's in them, it's what they reveal to be truly in us. And that's what Jesus kind of lays out for us at the end of this section. He says, don't worry so much about those things, but if you know where your treasure is, then you'll also know where your heart is. Where you invest your time and your money, that is where you will find your heart. And so then he shifts. And he, and he, he shifts, having shifted our focus off of the temporary, the money in our bank accounts, the money that we have, the things that make us anxious, the things that we fear, the temporary. And he's going to move to the most important thing that we can consider this morning. So he's taking our eyes off of the temporary. And then the question is, where is he moving our eyes at that point? Where does he direct us to look? So if he says, don't look at this because you will get caught up in this, he's going to then say, but pay attention to this. So this morning is the pay attention to this part, all right? That's what he's going to teach us. He says in verse 35, stay dressed for action. Now the metaphor here is simple. It's not, it's not too difficult. The, the typical uh, wear for a Middle Eastern man would be a, a tunic that was like long and flowing, right? This is what you would wear as you go around town. This is what you would wear as you were out in the market. This is what you would wear when you went to synagogue or when you went to worship in a public place. You would wear this, uh, this long tunic and it was, it was designed to dignify the wearer. The equivalent of this would be like a business suit today, right? You wear it to go out into public and to dignify yourself. But, but the whole point in a business suit and the whole point in these tunics was never to actually get anything done. It was to present kind of an image and to just, just dignify yourself as you went about your daily uh, business. But if there were any kind of emergency, if there were anything that needed to be responded to, the wearer would be ill-prepared to respond. And Jesus is saying that you need to be dressed and ready to go. Sleep in your workout clothes, not in your tunic. This is kind of the point. Be ready to get out of bed and get after it from the moment you get up. That is what it is that he's trying. So the image that comes to my mind, I meant to have a picture up here and I forgot to put it in here. But the image that, that, that comes to mind is a firefighter's equipment. So have you guys seen like a, a firefighter right next to the, the, the truck? They have what they have to wear to go out right next to the truck. Like the, the shoes are there, the, the, the pants are there, like connected to the shoe so that when the fire bell rings, they have to go step into it and pull that stuff on. They don't have time to be like, has anybody seen my left shoe? Has anybody seen that? Does anybody know where that is? I swear I just took them off right here. The dog must have carried them off. Does anybody, they don't have time for that because if they have to do that, someone could die. 
They have to be ready for action immediately. And so those, those boots that are right there ready for them to get out the door and, and, and get to action, that's the image that I want you to keep in your mind as Jesus talks here, right? That's the image I want you to keep in your mind that you always need to be ready. You always need to be not worried about wearing something to dignify yourself, but worried about being ready for action. That's, that's what we need to be. That needs to be us. So you keep that in your, uh, in your mind. Then he says, keep the lamps burning. Keep the lamps burning at, uh, at all times. When I have to get up in the middle of the night, if I got to go to the bathroom, if I have to let Lucy out, the first thing that I do is I reach for my phone and I grab my phone and I turn on the flashlight. Because I will die if I try to walk through my bedroom without some light, right? There's no way that I'm going to make it out to let Lucy out without some sort of light to tell me where I need to go. 100% chance that I will not make it to that door before I am falling flat on uh, my face. You can multiply that a hundredfold if there's no such thing as electricity. And the only source of light is, a, is, a, is some matches and an oil lamp that's right by your bed, which is exactly what it is that Jesus is referring to right here. I can guarantee you that, that like, sometimes, you know, people like to say, ah, I was born, I was born 200 years, I would have been great if I'd lived in this time frame or if I'd lived in that time frame. I'm good where we're at. Like, I like air conditioning. I like having heat. That works for me. And I can tell you right now, if I had to let the dog out at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the first thing that I had to do was strike a match, light a lamp to get to the door so that I could let the dog out, the house would be burnt down before the dog got out the door. There's no way that I'm going to be able to do that, right? This is what Jesus is saying. Just keep the lamp burning. So that you don't have to waste time fumbling in the dark to try to get the, the, the light ready to go. You need to be ready to go. So again, he's mixing metaphors, but it's the same idea. Always be ready. Stay dressed for action. Then Jesus says the servants of the, uh, of the master need to live this way, ready for action in case the master of the house returns home. And he uses specifically the example of the wedding feast. But if you're thinking of a wedding and you're thinking about like a DJ and some like sparklers and like, hey, we're going we're gonna to stay to the end of this thing and see them get into the limo and then drive off and then we're going to drive home so we might be home a little bit late. That is not how weddings would have worked for them. The way weddings would have worked for them is you go away to a wedding and then you might be there for at least a day, maybe two, maybe four, maybe a whole week, depending on who it is that's getting married and how wealthy and how uh, kind of upper echelon the family is. And so if the master's leaving the house, what the servants know is he's gone for a little while. I don't know how long he's gone, but he's gone at least for a little while. He might be back two days from now. He might be back in a week because he's going to a wedding and they're going to party. And so uh, they knew that they had some time to spare before they had to really kind of get around to their job. 
I had a conversation with Abby a, a few weeks ago, and I was talking about what it was like for me growing up and how different it is uh, for her and how things kind of just work differently in some different ways. Um, I knew that every day I got home from school at roughly 3 o'clock, 3.15, something like that. That's when I would get home from school. Uh, the, the classic like 80s, 90s latchkey kid, like that was me starting in like second grade. I was going, which now that I think about it, I'm like, that's crazy crazy. But that's exactly how we did it. Like, got off the bus, walked to the house, and was told, walk in the door, shut the door, lock the door, don't open the door for anybody, right? That's what I had to do. But then I was told, all right, now you're home. Now that you're here, you have these chores to do, and they need to be done before your dad gets home. And what I knew is that dad got home at 4.30-ish. That's when dad would be home. So what that meant is, as soon as I would get home, I would immediately start to clean whenever I walked in the door. Just kidding. You know that's not how that worked. Here's what that meant. That meant that I would get home, and I would find a snack, I would find something to eat, I would find Batman to watch on TV, the Batman like animated series, I would watch that, and I would sit there and I'd watch that, and what I knew is that that Batman animated series would go off at like 4 o'clock, which meant I had 30 minutes. But did I at 4 o'clock then be like, okay, I need to get to work? No. Like 4.15, I would be like, okay, now I'm running out of time. I should probably do this. And here's the thing. I probably had somewhere between like 30 to 45 minutes worth of chores. That somehow by the time I was like late middle school, I was able to get those done in somewhere between 8 to 10 minutes. I don't know how I was able to do that. It wasn't done well, but I knew he was going to be home at 4.30. Now, on the rare occasion that I would hear that garage door at 4.15, it was like, "Uh uh-oh, I've got a problem now. And so I would have to, like, as quick as I could, take care of, like, the most obvious things and then just make it look like, oh, I was working the whole time. I've been working the whole time that that you've been gone, Dad. Uh, You're just here a little bit early, so I was doing my chores. Or then I would get really lucky if I waited till like 4.25 and then I would be like, oh, I hope there's traffic. Oh, I hope there's traffic and he's home late because I have not gotten everything done that I needed to get done, right? There's no way that I was going to do what I needed to do when I first got home because that's not how kids work, right? We just know that that's not how, how it should be. And this is the, the, the kind of reference that, that Jesus is giving here. He's saying, don't be like that and that you are trying to calculate when the master is going to come back. Because if you get it wrong, you're going to have a massive problem on your hands. At least I knew 4.30 was the, the target time and it could kind of come and go depending on traffic and things it could be a little bit earlier it could be a little bit uh it could be a little bit later and so like what jesus is saying you have no frame of reference for when the master will come back you don't know when he will be here and it would be foolish for you to then say well he's not here now so i'm going to do whatever i want so jesus is giving us a warning You have no idea what time the master will be home. None. So there is none of this wait till the last minute to get your house in order. We don't get that kind of setup. Jesus will come to us or we will go to him, but we do not know when that will be. And here's the thing. Every one of us in this room knows this is true. 
But the reality is very, very few of us will ever live as if this is true. Every person in this room can give you a testimony about how quickly things can change. Whether they've had the experience of losing a a parent or a loved one or a grandparent or even just in their own lives, how drastically things have changed within just a, a span of a few days because of things that were outside of their control. We all know the sting of this reality, that at any moment anything can change. I remember a few weeks ago, whenever I had this scare with uh, my arm pain, and I know I've brought this up a few times, and I'll just tell you, uh, if you guys come to uh, basic training here, uh, not this Monday, but next Monday, if you come, I'm going to talk about this uh, a little bit more, because I think God taught me some things uh, during that time. But I remember a few weeks ago, when I had this scare with my my arm pain, that I was very, uh, very much concerned might be a heart attack. I was driving Isaiah to school that morning, uh, and and was in a lot of pain, like was in pain before we left. But then when I started driving, I was in a lot of pain uh, in my left arm. Turns out that I had a pinched nerve that driving specifically was probably the worst thing that I could do for my arm and made it hurt even worse. But as I got closer to his school, I knew that I was going to have to go to the hospital. I knew there was no way around it. The pain was too great for me to just ignore. Uh, I knew I might be having a heart attack. But I didn't want to scare him, though, before I dropped him off at school and let him get out of the truck. Uh, But I can tell you right now that when he was getting out of the truck, the thought was crossing my mind, and it made me tear up. This might be the last time I ever tell him I love him. This might be the last time that he sees me. There is nothing that can prepare you for that moment going through your mind. Nothing. I can give you this warning here, but there's nothing that can prepare you for that moment. I was not ready for that. I was more ready to see Jesus than I was for that moment. I was not ready for that at all. And what Jesus is saying is we usually don't get the warning that the master is coming back. And we'd better be ready. We'd better be ready. And Jesus goes on to say that the servants that are ready and uh, the, the servants that are ready, they are a blessed people. And even more, those that keep watch in the second and the third watch, those that are there that are up late at night at the time when you absolutely least expect to see the master come back, that if they are ready, they are even uh, more blessed. Blessing is our reward for hearts that are ready. I'll come back to that here in just a a few minutes, but let's keep going here uh, right now. So Peter responds to this. So Jesus gives this very harsh warning, this very strong warning. And he's talking to to like a lot of different people. And Peter, uh, you know, his his right-hand man there uh, always has a quick response. And he says, hang on, why are you telling us these things, Jesus? Why are you telling us these things? Is Is this for us or is this for everybody else? Why are you directing this conversation towards us? We're the disciples. We're out here with you day in and day out, feeding people, healing people, doing the work. Do you mean this warning for us? And then Jesus does what he does so often. He answers a question with a story. He doesn't answer it directly, but he gives him another story. So I told you, lots of analogies, lots of metaphors. Going to keep going here with another one. Let's read this one in verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling us this, telling this parable for us or for, uh, for all? And the Lord said, Jesus said, who then is faithful and 
who then is the faithful and wise manager from whom this master will set over his household? So he's not just talking about any servant now. He's talking about like the servant over the household. So head servant, chief guy, uh, the, the, the top servant in the household. Your, your translation may say steward instead of manager or instead of servant. He says, who then is this faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household uh, to give them their portion of food at the proper Time blessed is the servant from blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will not set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, "My master is delayed in coming," and begins to beat the male and female servants and uh, to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and he will cut him into pieces and he will put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will uh, but did not get ready or act according to his will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, uh, uh, and did the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, uh, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So Jesus just says, all right, you want me to answer, is this for you, Peter? Let me tell you this uh, story. And so much for being kind, loving, all will be well, Jesus. Uh, He talks about beating and chopping people up into pieces. Uh, Pretty graphic stuff. I'm telling you, Jesus is not playing around when he is teaching this portion. Why the harsh language here? Why does Jesus talk like this? We really don't see him talking like this almost anywhere else in Scripture. Why go scorched earth like this on his apostles of all people? Why would he do this? I said a few weeks ago that Jesus reserves his sharpest, his most kind of damning criticism for the Pharisees. That was always the people that he went after, and he did not hold back on the Pharisees. Uh, And I I think that's the backdrop for everything that Jesus is trying to say here to his disciples. Peter wants to know if that warning was for them, since they are the ones that are out there with them doing the ministry at his side. And so Jesus tells this parable, trying to warn his disciples, saying, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the teachers of the law. Remember, that's how he started this section of teaching. So that's still the backdrop for all of what he is saying here. I remember what he said in chapter 11 in verse 52. He said, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter uh, yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. He says, in effect, you should have been the, the teachers of Israel leading them to God. You were given the keys to the kingdom, and you were given all of these things, but you have not even entered the kingdom yourself, and you are leading people astray from this. So that's the context for all of this. And then he uses this parable of the steward. This guy, he's a rung above the other servants. He's kind of the, the, the head servant, chief uh, servant, kind of the boss. And so he serves the master by managing the whole household, which includes managing the servants of the household. 
This person has a unique responsibility to care for both the house and the people that kind of make the house go, the servants. Yet, instead of continually being on the lookout for the master to return and continually encouraging the, uh, the servants and those that are under him to, uh, to be faithful and to do their jobs, to do what they're supposed to, instead of doing that, this steward, this guy who's over everything, decides eat, drink, and be merry, for there is no one to hold me accountable for what I do. And not only will I eat, drink, and be merry, I will abuse my power as the house steward. While the master is away, I will rule in his stead, and I will not be a good, kind ruler. Instead, I will beat the servants, and I will show them how strong I am, and I will do whatever I want to do. And Jesus says that this guy is worse than a servant who doesn't do what he's supposed to do because he's been given a stewardship over the house and the people. And this is why Jesus comes with this language about chopping up, uh, chopping, about, about chopping people into pieces whenever he comes back, which is like super harsh language. It sounds awful, offends every one of our modern sensibilities. How could Jesus say this? But I think the point he's trying to, 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 to get across here, he's trying to drive home this thing. There is no mercy for those that have been given the task of leading others to God, but then abuse their position of power. I think that's exactly what he's trying to say. If you have been placed in a position where you should be leading people to God and you use that position to then abuse the people that God has put under you, there is no mercy for you. It's as harsh as being chopped up into pieces. I'm not saying that there's no grace for that type of person who does that that there's no way for them to repent. What I'm saying is the master may come back when he is least expected and repentance may, longer, may no longer be an option and grace will not be shown. That saying there's a special place in hell for certain type of people, I think that applies here. I think that applies directly. And I think this is why we have to be very careful here. Anyone, this, this is why we have to hold leaders to a different accountability within the church than what we do, even to those just within the church. James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If anybody desires to go into any form of ministry, you'd better reckon with that verse before you do. Jesus does not play around with those that have been given the stewardship of others. Jesus does not play around. And I can just... I can tell you based off a cursory glance through Twitter, I can tell you based off of just a, a, a cursory glance and conversations I have had over the years, there are a lot of people that get into ministry for a lot of reasons that don't reckon with that verse and don't hear the warning that Jesus gives here. And I want to be clear here. I'm not pretending that I stand up here like holier than anybody. What I'm telling you is that verse scares me to death. And I think that's the point. We must 
hold our leaders to a different level of accountability because there is a different level of punishment that awaits those who fail when they abuse their positions of power. Jesus goes on to say that the punishment the steward receives that uh, uh, abused uh, th- this position, that, 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 that his punishment is one thing, and the punishment that the servant who failed to do what was asked, his punishment is a severe beating. So one person gets chopped into pieces, the other person gets a severe beating, and then the other one who had no idea what the master really wanted to have done, but still didn't do what should have been done, he will receive a lighter beating. So no, not all of hell is the same, but let's not misunderstand. Hell is hell. No one gets off easy here. And here's the, the, the reality. This parable here may be directed at the Pharisees and a warning to the apostles not to become like them. But the overall message of this text this morning is clear. You will come face to face with Jesus one day. You will stand before him. Either you're going to him or he's coming to you. You may get the warning of a diagnosis that gives you a date of how long you have. And you may not make it home this afternoon. And I know that sounds like a clever little preacher trick because we like to do these things because it heightens like the emotion and it kind of gets you like, oh my gosh, like that's super scary. And, and, and I know that, that, that that's a thing and people have, preachers have, have long used this to get people to walk the aisle and make decisions. I'm not interested in that kind of emotional knee-jerk reaction because if that's all I can get out of you, then you'll be like the servants that know what the master wants, but you don't do it because you're too distracted by the things of the world. So don't hear me tugging on your emotional puppet strings this morning. But I would be wrong if I did not offer the same warning that Jesus does this morning. You may not have a diagnosis that gives you so many days to live this morning, but I can tell you this. All of this will end one day for you. It will end for all of us. And we cannot live as though we know when that day will be. We have not been given that knowledge. We do not know when the master will return. And I am pleading with you this morning, pleading with you this morning, know the love and the blessing of God in a way that you never have before. Feel the weight of eternity in my words and in Jesus' teaching this morning. Eternity is what he's talking about here. He's not talking about a light punishment and then all will be fine. He's talking about all of eternity. I've told you guys that somewhere uh, along the line, I've developed this thing where when, when I give... When I give blood, uh, I'm going to pass out. Like, it's going to happen 100%. I don't know why this started. I gave, used to give blood all the time uh, for, like, medical stuff whenever I was in high school and in college. But it's like, and I never had any issue. But it's like 100% at, at this point. When I went to the hospital for this, this thing with my arm, one of the first things that they had to do was draw blood to see if I was having a heart attack and run uh, the, te- the, the test. And so I knew this was going to happen. I knew that this was just 
what was going to happen legitimately. I'm not afraid of needles. The needles really don't bother me. Uh, but it's something that my body does whenever I have blood taken that causes me to pass out. So they, they sat me down, and I very quickly told them, uh, this isn't going to work, because they just had me sit in one of those chairs, right? And they're like, just sit there, and we'll, we'll, we'll draw this. And I'm like, you don't want to do that. You, you do not want to do that. I'm like, that will go bad for me. It'll go worse for you. Um, if you put me in this chair and you take my blood, you're going to be picking me up out of that floor. Uh, and I don't think either of us wants that. And this girl, she was like 21, 12. I don't know what the difference is. Like she was super young and she was like maybe a hundred pounds. She's like, just sit down. It'll be fine. I'm like, you cannot pick me up. I can just tell you that right now. You do not want to do this. I promise you, you, you do not want to do this. Um, and, but she's like, no, you need to just, you just need to sit there. It'll be fine, and this, this will go quick. I'm just trying to explain it would, it would end badly, but they had no other beds for, like in the ER for me to go to. So like this was the only option. And I was like, look, I'll do whatever you want because that's what I'm going to have to do, but this is just not going to be good. So I sat down and... Uh, Start, of course, you know, you've got to poke you like 17 times to find the, 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 the vein. Uh, and then they finally get it, start, start having the blood. Uh, uh, they start drawing the blood, and I'm like, all right, here I go. And I'm just like, it's, it's starting to happen. I'm feeling it, like I'm slumping down, like I'm, I'm going down. And she's like, no, you're doing fine. I'm like, no, I'm not. I told you this was going to happen. Um, I was probably not very nice. I was like, I told you this was going to happen, and now it's happening. And, and like an older nurse came walking by and she's like, what is going on here? And so she gets me an ice pack and a fan on my face. And like, I got as close to passing out as you can without passing out. Like I was right there. Um, and then they found, they got all the blood. I got up for a minute. And I'm like, all right, whew. just kind of sat there for a second. And uh, I'm like, all right, I'm, I mean, I'm not passing out, but I do not feel great. It's just like covered in sweat. I mean, it was, it was not fun. They wheel me out in a wheelchair at that point, out into the, back into the, the, the waiting room. And Emily, being so like, kind and, and loving as she is, she's like, you look like a ghost. I'm going to take your picture. Uh, and so, so, so she, she took my picture of me looking apparently terrible. I've still never seen this picture. But she's like, you look awful. And I'm like, well, I told the girl that I, this was going to happen. Um, but the other two times that, that I, that I gave blood while I was like, if I lay down, I'm fine. There's no issue. But if I'm sitting up, like I'm going to pass out. And both times, like I was out of it. I have no idea how long I was out of it. But what I know is the only thing that woke me up. And apparently they tried everything. They had like splashing water on my face. They had like a fan on, they had ice packs like down my back one time whenever I woke up. The only thing that woke me up was smelling salts. Now, I don't know what the deal is with smelling salts. I don't know why they do what they do. I'm sure there's all kinds of like scientific information for that. I didn't look it up. But I know the only thing that woke me up was the, the smelling salts. And this morning, my hope is that this passage, this passage serves that capacity for you. That it is the smelling salt under your nose where you have been distracted, where you have been so out of it with what God has for you, what he has called you to, and what you will be held accountable to, that, that this, this passage gets kind of under your nose and wakes you up and says, you cannot go through life 
and not reckon with the fact that you are going to have to see Jesus and you will be held accountable for the life that you lived and the sins that you've done. Romans 13 says it this way. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and not in sensuality. Not in quarreling and in jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't chase after the stuff that glitters and looks like it is so attractive to us and then live as though you will not give account for that because you will. Let the warnings of Jesus affect your heart this morning. But know that that a warning is not all that he says in here. So I want to change tone just a little bit as we end this morning, because Jesus mentions two blessings in this passage too that I kind of ran right by. Two blessings that I think will help us end on a more hopeful note. I don't want to minimize the warning in any way. I want to plead with you to hear the warning. A fear that should grip our hearts this morning. Jesus doesn't equivocate at all. But he does have two things that we can miss this morning, two beautiful truths of the gospel. The first is in verse 37. And it might be one of the most upside-down, borderline, unbelievable things in all of Scripture. Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table, and he will come and serve them. Do you catch that? In in this metaphor, the servants that are awake are those that have not gotten caught up in the things that are around them, that have not chased after the other things, that have not been derelict in their duty, but they've done what they need to do. They're the ones that have kept the firefighters' boots right there uh, at the door, wake up every morning with a focus on the right things of the kingdom. And then when the master comes back, when Jesus comes back, He won't just tell them, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, there's another parable when he says that, but that's not all that he says. He won't promote them to higher positions in the house. There's another parable that says that too, but that's not what this one is saying. But instead, what this says is the master will sit the servant down, head into the kitchen, put on an apron, and will come out and serve the faithful servant. The master will serve the servant. The master, the king. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus comes to us and he serves us. Jesus, just hours before his death, would model this exact thing and he would wash the feet of the disciples. Why? Because that's the kind of king he is. And because that's the kind of thing that we have in the the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes to us and he says, you sit there and I will wash your feet. That's the kind of blessing that is before those that are faithful, that are awake, that know what the time is. 
And the second one in the midst of all these parables is just as telling. Luke 12, 43 and 44. It says, Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, doing what he's supposed to do. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. When the king finds a faithful servant, the faithful servant is blessed by the king. He is put in a place where the king says, all that I have is yours. The master says, all of my possessions are now yours for you to do with what you want. This is what it means to be part of the family of God, co-heirs with Christ. It's not that we've gotten a promotion to being the chief servant. It's that we've been made a part of the family and all that was not mine is now mine. All the blessings that are in Christ, we now partake of. Think about that for a second. All the blessings that were for Jesus, we now, as a part of the family of God, as co-heirs with Christ, we now partake in those blessings. It's absurd. But Jesus says, all that I have is yours. This is the blessing of knowing Jesus. He comes to serve us, to save us, and to bring us into the family, and to set us at the table. And he tells us to come and eat your fill, for all that I have is yours. I hope this morning that you have, have, have that, that, that your mind and your soul have had the smelling salts placed under your nose and you have been shaken and you have been woken up to the very real reality that Jesus is coming or you are going and you will give an account for your life. But I also hope that your heart rejoices in these truths of the gospel, that we are his, that all he has is ours, and that he is here for us both as our king and our master and as our brother and our friend. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that is for everyone. It's not a Jesus who turns a blind eye. It's not a Jesus who says, it's all okay. All will, be, all will be well. It's no big deal if you've been unfaithful. It's a Jesus that says, you have been unfaithful. Now, let me show you what it looks like to be a faithful servant. Let me bring you near. And this is what the blood of Jesus does for us. This is the gospel. So a word of warning placed next to a, a, a word of blessing. What's before you is a choice. Which one will you be about? Let's pray. Father, this morning we are confronted by a hard word. The teachings of Jesus that we want to be so assuring to our hearts can also be so jarring to us. So, Father, as that happens this morning, as we are shaken by this warning by Jesus, let us not dismiss it. Let us not push it off. Let us not uh, just kind of move back on to these other things that have our hearts and have our minds. But instead, that we would feel the weight of the words of Jesus. 
that they would settle on our shoulders, they would settle on our hearts and our minds. And we would walk out of this place with a different perspective on what's in front of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.